Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Oh my god, that's gross. Corey Felton does not know how to eat freaking pizza pizza. Completely changed the face of everything. It's very unique. I will give it that. Oh, thanks. I don't want to embarrass myself. Should I embarrass myself? No, that's... Please, no. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I am embarrassed. Hello, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because of a more popular movie was released at the same time... Or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps what we don't love about it, and decide whether the movie is worth a revisit. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to it. So before we talk about this week's movie, here's a little bit about ourselves. That was slick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was almost like we were doing one of those answering machine messages. Mike and I'm Mike and you're here. <laughs> no, that's sad. <laughs> uh, I'll start off since right. you did a bulk of the opening. Um, I'm, again, I'm Mike Field, uh, writer director. I've done um, a series of short films, feature, web series, written a couple books. I'm also a movie theater manager, which I manage at the same movie theater that Mr. Butler works at. It's true. We're sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an actor and a writer based on the East Coast. Um, yeah, it's about me. I've done plays here, short locally, films. in the city, short films, web series. Yep. Um, so yeah, we have a interesting outlook because I think we can see stuff behind the camera, in front of the camera, and also at the uh, at the very tail end of a movie's lifespan, which is like its release in the theaters. And I think we're both cinephiles, movie mm-hmm. aficionados, that we both enjoy movies. So before we get into what our... Oh, actually, no. We sh- I should just introduce the movie, then the disclaimer. I yes. screwed that one up, too. That's okay. This is all off the cuff. So this movie that we're doing is one that I had seen before, but Mike had not. No, I had not. And I always talked about it. So this is the 1977 Roy Scheider starring William Friedkin directed Sorcerer. It's risky moving one of those cases 10 feet. Fire's over 200 miles away. If it were up there, could you use it? How the hell are you going to get it up? It's not your problem. We'll get it up there. You've got a problem. Tell me about it. You going to tell me where I'm going? I swear to Christ, I don't know. We now need experienced truck drivers. Men who are willing to do a dangerous job. They will receive exceptional wages. Only experienced truck drivers willing to risk their life can do it. <laughs> we are across that bridge, and you're going to guide me. Because I can't do it alone. What I like about this is you've talked it up so much, I'm almost like an audience member. It is. Is this worth yeah. a revisit? If you didn't like it, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go, we always like to, before we start talking about it, because we just can't control ourselves in terms of revealing spoilers for movies. So if you have not seen Sorcerer, you probably want to pause this. Go watch it. It's two hours. Well, the you want to watch the domestic version is two hours. The international version is actually 90 minutes because Freakin' didn't have uh, Final Cut for that. So don't watch the international version. It's not good. Watch the domestic version, two-hour one. Then come back and we can talk. Are you back? Welcome back. <laughs> Do you want me to reveal whether I liked it or not? No, no, no. I'll, I'll get that sense. And if, again, it'll be it'll be really a hardship. But let's let's <clears throat> I'm, let's just talk really briefly about the plot of the movie. So, I mean, I can do that if you want. After you. So basically, the movie is about four men who are not nice men. Who in in, in the beginning of the movie you kind of see. Like certain things that happen to them, they are certain things that they do that causes them to run from where they are. Where you have, uh, you know, Roy Scheider, excuse me, his character Scanlan, who later becomes Juan Dominguez. Uh, he they rob a, a church, which is actually based on a, a real robbery. They rob a church, and the, you, uh, he has to 
men and his crew get killed, and he has to go escape to this uh, faraway South American uh, town. You see, the first one is actually this hitman played by uh, I think his name is Nilo or Nilo. He's played by Francisco Rabal. Mm-hmm. He uh, kills a guy. He just walks out. This other guy. Uh, this other guy, um, Serrano. Well, he's not a Serrano. When he's down in the South American village, but they all have double names, right, 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 because the, the Vic, his name is Victor, and he's uh, he's wanted for fraud. Uh, he his first scene is like he runs his company, but then he's getting caught uh, by French authorities for uh, embezzlement. He he leaves, he leaves where he is, and then finally there's the Palestinian militant Kasim, who uh, they they blow up. Something in Jerusalem, they they destroy some kind of building, and then they and all of his his partners in crime are, are murdered, and he escapes. They all four of these men escape to this town in South America, where many people go to escape. It's not a great. They live in poverty. It's not a great town. It's run by an oil company because they're basically pumping oil out of there. So they're living there. They want to get out. They want to leave. They have no money, and an opportunity arises where the oil company's pipe explodes, the pump explodes, and it's just spewing fire in the air. And the only way to block it off, the only way to stop it is to basically dynamite it and shut it down. The only dynamite they find is in the in the jungle, but it's leaking and leaking nitroglycerin. It's old. It's never been rotated. So moving it is a dangerous... They can't help fly it out because it's too shaky. You can't, you can't bump this thing because it'll just explode. So moving it is extremely dangerous. So they go and they... They, need, they, they go into the town village and they want to get drivers to come to drive this dynamite to the oil... Uh, where they're pumping the oil, which is, if you've seen the movie, it's 218 miles, as Shredder, as uh, excuse me, as um, Scanlan writes down on the on the uh, dashboard. Basically, drive it through this rough terrain, through this jungle, through you know rainstorms and all that stuff to get it to the place. So basically, for the shipment, and I think they would get ten thousand each, right? Because 8, he it, well, but he they, he they write a check for him for forty thousand at the end. Because spoiler. Everybody dies. Of course, of course, of course so. But you know that already. Yes. Because you watched the so, movie. So, yeah. So, so, and that's it. These four antiheroes, these four bad guys have to drive this truck, two trucks. That's how they do it. Through the jungle to stop, to help for this oil company just for money so they can get out, get out of this, uh, this place, out of this village. Right. That's the long-winded plot of the movie, Sorcerer. All right. So, I mean, so, okay, fine. Did you like it? I did. Okay. Um, and a podcast. <laughs> done. It wasn't the best. I it, understand. There it's are a some, 70s film. I understand that. And there are some things that are very 70s about it, which I'm sure I'll go over. Um, <laughs> the, I'll go over what I liked first. Yeah. The but, well, intense moments of the film, the, the, the actual driving of the truck is a really great sequence. Like all, all of the sequences when they start driving from the first turnaround on the, uh, like the wooden dam type turn around they have to go around the obviously the bridge which is i think the scene that made the movie kind of famous to begin with um and memorable to a certain degree yes i definitely love the truck driving scenes they were really intense when you see the tires slip in i thought the camera angles were great the close-up on the tires the front of the truck the expressions on their faces really gives you that feeling that any small movement is actually a much bigger movement and i thought that was very interesting how they figured out how to do that um, to make just a small like turning of a tire and moving it maybe half an inch up a little up a cliff because you're so close to it really does seem like a much bigger movement than it normally would. I mean that bridge sequence was so intense when the bridge is swaying. They're on this bridge in a monsoon. The bridge is is swaying. The truck's rocking and it was so intense. I was watching with my fiance and she's getting so nervous that she was like, you know, what? I can't handle this anymore. I'm tired. I, I got to go to bed. This is too intense. It, it is. I mean, I, I I think I tweeted when I was watching it that. Or I was going to tweet. I just I tweeted something that I said it was still good. That all that that whole scene when the the whole bridge is all on the whole thing is controlled by hydraulics, and even the truck itself is controlled by hydraulics. But even when they were shooting it, the the truck fell a couple times. I, I imagine that. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, it's like hanging on the bridge. Right. And I remember when I first when I first saw the movie, and I I don't remember who I saw the movie with because I don't remember if it was my friend Keith or my friend Adrian. It could have been both. I don't remember, but I know that we had watched it. And I remember just watching it going, oh, my God, what the – like, there's like, what the hell? What are the – like, when they get to the bridge – because, I mean, the bridge is the most iconic part of the movie source right. or when people have seen it. When they, when they get to the, the rope bridge, it's just like, you're going to drive over that? Like, I don't 
well, I, are you kidding me? And then, they, <laughs> and then when they're doing it, you're just kind of like, oh my, you, you, you do, you feel. It. And that's, I mean, that's great. I, I'm, that's why I love, I, I, there's a, I, when I watched it again, because this is the second time I'd watched it. I watched it that first time a long time ago. I'd seen clips of it, never like went back and rewatched it. But watching it again, I just really, it, it's, it's funny because you're watching it and it is a straight up 70s movie. So you do definitely are, you're getting 70s cinema. It's gritty. It's not polished like you're seeing now. And some of that's on purpose. But I'm about an hour into the movie and I'm like, I mean, it sucks you in. You're just kind of like, you're you're just drawn in and you're like, what's going on? Like what's, because it's, I don't know. And then like, there's not like, there's not a lot of dialogue, especially when they're in the South American, right? In, in the village, there's not a lot of dialogue, and you're still like captivated and sucked into like what's happening here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't. Well, the, the thing with this movie is that it's not just the story of the movie Sorcerer in terms of the movie in itself is separate from also how the story was put together, also everything surrounding the story. There's two. Like we can go two different ways with this. We can talk about production. And all the troubles and all the issues with it. We can talk about, but we can stick to just the story. We can go both ways. And that's fine. We, we'll do it. This may be four hours, but we'll do it. <laughs> but um, I think what I want to get, what I want to just say it right off the top, because I know we always ask, like, well, why did it get forgotten? I'm going to tell you why it got forgotten. Okay. And I know, I think you already know why it's gotten forgotten. It came out a month after Star Wars came out. <laughs> yeah. Now, so now I have the dates here where Star Wars comes out May 25th, 1977, but it's limited. It's limited in its run. And then it goes wide, which I guess, I mean, I don't know how, about, how much wider you can go on July 15th, 1977. So it's a full, like, I, I don't know what wide would be back then in the 70s. It's probably like mid, mid, Midwest, mid, mid flyover states wide kind yeah, of thing. Maybe, okay. Yeah. This movie gets released June twenty fourth, nineteen seventy seven, right in the middle between that. So it's already a month. Ahead. It's already got a month of Star Wars going. Oh my god, what is it? Because obviously, it's not. If you and if you are a big cinephile and you and you love movies, even if you are not somebody who is deep into like, oh, I love everything about movies. You're just a casual viewer. You all know that when Star Wars first opened, it was huge and it and it completely changed the face of everything. Mm-hmm. To the point where we are now where, you know, we have a Marvel movie every month, which is another conversation. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, so once Star Wars came out, the game changed. Unfortunately, the Sorcerer, nobody told them. And so when they come out a month after, it's just kind of like, it, it, you know, coupled with the fact that, again, so that's one reason why it's forgotten. Mm-hmm. Star Wars. Coupled with the fact that Freakin was not, uh, William Freakin is a really good director. Really good. And if you don't, and I, you know, I've even gotten into the production facts and any of that stuff. But if, <laughs> but like he directed, if you don't know this already, he directed The Exorcist. He directed The French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A., Bug, Killer Joe. Killer Joe is probably a little bit more recent, and so is Bug. Bug's got Michael Shannon in it. Yeah, Bug was good. Yeah. So he is, but he is a the French Connection is fantastic, and so is The Exorcist, and so are all the movies I just said. So, but he is not back then. He probably wasn't the easiest guy to work with. Bit of an ego, bit of arrogance, which is. To be fair, probably a lot of directors, a lot of people in, in positions of power, and, and whether it's good or not, whatever. I'm not. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just saying that he, you know, he did not get along with Paramount execs when they were doing this movie, to the point where when they show the evil oil company and they have the picture of the oil company execs that are making them do this, it's actually Paramount execs he puts up there. <laughs> so they were ticked. So when and they were fighting with him, and he finally said, they finally were like, "Well, screw you then." We're not going to promote it. And they kind of shelved it and they didn't do anything for it. So they didn't care. So they didn't even put any weight behind it. So that's another reason why like, okay, well, you know, and then then the studio doesn't back it. Right. Star Wars destroys it. It doesn't get a lot of people were expecting. I think a lot of people were expecting it to be like a science fiction movie because it's called Sorcerer. Right. The title is a little misleading for a multitude of ways. And it looks like, I mean, it's based on a novel and the novel is called The Wages of Fear. Right, and when I'm looking up the movie, the Wages of Fear is on the posters, as like based on Wages of Fear, almost as big as the title, which I think is very confusing as well. I, I think they retitled it The Wages of Fear for its international run. Gotcha. To to avoid because it was a French movie, French 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 novel, novel, yeah. and it was also a French film. Okay, because this is the posters that I've seen online have Wages of Fear is actually a little larger than the actual movie title itself. It's Sorcerer. Yeah, they so renamed it. That's. 
but on the same poster, which is confusing. Well, that's but this is also 1978, 1977. Right. So yeah, I don't think that, that helps its case. That no, no, exactly. And I think that's it's not just the fact that Star Wars came out; it's the fact that it wasn't well received. It wasn't. It was not that it was well received. People just didn't know what to make of it. Right. And only later on, probably maybe 20 years later, more so now, people are understanding that just how really good of a movie it was. I just don't think people got it. Right. But screenplay was written by Waylon Green. He wrote The Wild Bunch. He's got an uncredited rewrite for War Games. He does a lot of TV. So if you watch like ER, Law and Order, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, my favorite. Um, more recently, Man, High Castle, Mercy Street. Mercy Street's a PBS? Is that I believe right? so, yeah. Okay. I like That's, Man in that, High Castle. Well, I know you do. That's why I put it in there. So he, he's an obviously an established accomplished writer. Mm-hmm. You talked about what it's based on. I already talked about who directed it. Starring Roy Scheider, who I brought up. Bruno Cremer, Francisco Robal, and Amido. You probably only know Roy Scheider. Budget was, they say it was $12 million, and then other places say it's twenty-two. So it's, it's somewhere between there, I would okay. assume. I would guess it's $22 million, which back then is, is a lot. A lot. Cause that, that bridge alone probably cost a ton. Well, that, well it's funny you should say that, Mr. Miller. <laughs> uh, that bridge cost a million dollars to put up. So here's the story about the bridge. They, they built this bridge over this river in the Dominican Republic. Had it all built. All hydraulics cost a million dollars to build. The river dries up because of a drought. They have to tear down the bridge. They have to, they have, so they have to find a location in, I'm going to say this wrong, Tuxtepec, Mexico. So they go and they build it there. But again, that river starts to dry up. So, and the river that it's over is like shallow, is like maybe three feet. So what he does is he has helicopters brought in and he has wind machines and all they're doing is blowing, they're just blowing all the water everywhere okay. to make it look like it's rapids and stuff like that and all that. So they, and they had a rush because the river was drying up as well. That took another million dollars to build up. To, to build. So it took $2 million for this bridge scene. That's awesome. And back then, that's probably like, what would you, what would you guess, like 15, 10 million, 15 now? Uh, it's got to be like, yeah, maybe easily, easily. Because they mention money when the um, Toronto embezzles or whatever. They yes. mention how much he needs back. And I did, I did the uh, conversion and it was like, I can't remember how much they, it was. They owed like 5 million and I did the money in there. It was like. 24 four to 40 million depending on like where at what time of yeah, the year it was so I was like holy <laughs> shit <laughs> uh, so yeah easily 2 million dollars is probably like 15 17 that's that's a budget <laughs> oh absolutely so back to the budget itself so 12 million to 22 million estimate rated PG so this is before PG 13 came around before template yeah did. yes exactly uh, domestic it grossed 13 million domestically 13.8 Worldwide, 19.6. So clearly, it's a flop. Uh, and we already talked about when it was released. So those are kind of the facts of it. Um, so yeah, so I just kind of wanted to lay that out before we get into <laughs> everything else. So okay, so you... I really okay. like the intensity. Okay, so you woke the overall intensity of the movie. The way the film was filmed is fantastic. Uh, I think the intensity of it is great. I think, you know... Blowing up the tree is cool. Yeah, it was really good. I like the the grittiness of it when you talk about like how it had the grit, the nineteen seventies grit. Really works for the town scenes. Really works for the truck driving scenes because you wouldn't. This movie couldn't be done today and give you the same kind of intensity. Well, you wouldn't be able to do a movie today with for uh, protagonists that are not likable because they're they're all bad guys. With here's my thing. Uh oh. The whole film, and I get that Roy Scheider is, is your star. He's your, he's your name character. He's your, he's your guy. Right. Serrano, and I don't remember his French name right now. Vi- hang on. Victor Manzone. Sure. Serrano. <laughs> <laughs> not, Serrano. To be, not to be confused with Serrano from Major League. <laughs> <laughs> he is our, he is our, I felt like he was our protagonist. He was our one guy who had, I mean, he embezzled, yes. He was not a great guy. But he did not kill anybody was not involved in a murder well you you could one could argue that he's responsible for the guys blowing his brains out that is true his, and his roy Schneider technically didn't shoot the guy in the church true he never carries a gun true but i mean he works for what i'm assuming is the irish mob well, you didn't he, mention he, when he they is. robbed the church that the church is not a great church either they're hold on i was gonna get to that the mob go ahead is, go ahead because i was gonna get to that but go it's ahead mob money behind italian mob which money is fantastic because oh. I, lo- I, lo- I love what because that because the priest the brother he his 
the priest that who tells me, do you know whose church this is? His brother is like a mafia boy. Right, so mafia the mob boss. Head. Yeah, mob boss. Yeah, which is uh, which uh, I love. <laughs> but so he's he's completely reprehensible. Our our Palestinian friend blows up a busload of people. Yep. yep. Well, no, 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 not the bus. He blows up the the. We're, I can't remember what what. They go into the house. The bus pulls away. That's what I thought. Okay, I was and confused. The, and, right. and, and the building blows, blows up. up. Yeah. So either way, he kills people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you got a, a straight-up terrorist. You got a mafioso. <laughs> and you got a French guy who embezzles stuff but really loves his wife and wants to get back to his wife. So, I mean, in, in a way, he's almost a protagonist. And you call the movie Sorcerer. Yeah. Which is his truck. True. But that doesn't make it. Exactly. Well, the 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 the, the title of the movie comes from okay, the title of the movie Sorcerer comes from because it's an evil wizard of fate. That's what the sorcerer is supposed to represent. Okay, fate being in this movie that their deaths, like the fate being like whether you live or die. For instance, they go through the bridge scene. They go through the, all that stuff. They blow up the truck. Everything they they they're gonna make it. He's so your boy Serrano and. Um, Kasem are talking, or Martinez. He's known as Martinez in the uh, uh, the Palestinian. Okay, but yeah. yeah, they're talking, and the tire blows out, and they're done, and that's it. And it's just kind of like what, like because it's just like, hey, I'm gonna give it. To- oh, that's great, <laughs> and then just truck flips over, and that's it. It's over. Um, so I think that that's why the movie's called Sorcerer because you don't know, you don't. I mean, they're doing this whole thing, and it's just the, the tire blows. I actually like when they put the trucks together. When they they hire the four guys, right, and they all just start, and they just have this. It must be like two minute, three minute montage of them trying to get all the, the trucks to work on broken parts from other trucks, right. I mean, for some reason, I was like, because it was like, wow, they're really building these trucks. It wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't like watching like um, Fast and Furious or something, and they're just like, you know, yeah, I'm just tightening this thing. You're not doing anything. You're not. You're not fixing anything. Like this is right. actually like you know getting the the stuff to work, which yeah. I appreciated. And and to, to go to what you were talking about in terms of how it was shot, this movie was purposely shot to have quote without sentiment and without melodrama. It, it was basically Friedkin trying to take this story and just making it almost documentary like about these four people. Basically. The air, I want to say I'm going to say arrogance again, but I say that in a nice way. The arrogance of William Freakin to say, you know, I can make this. Mo- you're gonna, you're gonna like this movie, and I'm gonna take the mo- four most unlikable guys. I don't care, you know, but you're gonna be, you're gonna like this movie because of it. And quite honestly, I do. So he was right. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the truck, the sorcerer truck, mm-hmm. which I didn't get why the other one wasn't maybe as well, but I love that the sorcerer truck was a character. He looks it looks mean it looks like it has a face um the other truck's the lazaro yeah so the lazaro doesn't really look like a character but when you look at the sorcerer truck it's red it's got the white grill which makes it look like teeth it's got like headlamp lights on the top that make it look like its eyes it really is becomes this kind of mean looking spirit that's walking with them which i really enjoyed yeah when i was watching it well the movie's also nominated was nominated for best sound for academy award and to your point, they purposely laid in uh, a tiger roar for the sorcerer truck and a cougar roar for the Lazaro truck. And the Lazaro truck is named after Lazarus. Just a heads up there. Nice. I got a lot of notes, man. <laughs> it's a good movie. It, you know, I, when we do these older movies, it's really good because there's so much information on on like the making of it and all that stuff, which is really you. Like I said, we could go into down this well <laughs> and be here for four hours talking about this. But continue. I want to hear more about what you liked. Well, I. I love that, and I I love when they use like animal roars like that, yep. like when the truck goes down in duel. That's a whole bunch of animal noises, which he reused when the T Rex roars in uh, Jurassic Park. Spielberg reuses that. Yep. So I, I love when you use like when you create an inanimate object and you to make it a character, you give it things like really subtly like animal noises. You make it look like a character. I really enjoy that. You could argue <laughs> that the jungle itself is a character too. Not not like the village, but like when they start on their. When they start on their path, absolutely, you can yeah. argue that too. It's a it's a thing in their way. Absolutely. I also like, and this could just be me. I don't know if you have it in your notes. Um, I have everything in my notes. <laughs> I like the idea that the entire film basically takes place in hell. That these guys are in some kind of purgatory, and it's it's not. It's kind of an allegory for do they just get out of hell or not? 
have do they earn have they earned their way into into heaven? I'm always looking for the allegory or themes of the movie, and I, I felt like that really deeply was it, and that the town was kind of was hell, the jungle was purgatory, and they're trying to get out of that. So we were talking about the ugly lady earlier. Oh come on now, oh, come on now. She, <clears throat> she's not. Well, hold on. Well, I want to go. Are you are you going upon that point more? Is that what you're doing here with this woman? I, I good, was. go, okay. good, good. So that I think that when I. Don't just describe her as the ugly lady. Just, okay. What so is she in the movie? She's <laughs> in the movie. There's a uh, bar that they all bar, diner, restaurant. A dump. It's a dump. A dump. <laughs> when a guy walks over and he wipes a spoon on his shirt and he's like, "There you go." Here's oh my your god! Bread I, with, I, bread with butter. When that happened, I like was like, "Throw it on the ground. Throw the fork <laughs> on the ground. Use your hands. I don't care how dirty your hands are. Uh, that guy's shirt is sweaty and gross and greasy. <laughs> he has ruined that fork. I don't know what was on bread that and fork. butter. Yeah." I don't care if there was like dog feces on that fork beforehand. It is worse now. What's he spraying on the on the bar counter while that guy's sleeping on it? Oh, he was. Yeah, it was. It was. Stuff. Yeah, it was. I think it's that's back in the day. That's what you would spray for bugs and stuff. That kind of thing. So yeah. that's what I figured. And he's yeah. spraying it right on top of the guy sleeping. On well, the by a guy sleeping on the bike, he's got a business to run. He's got to wake up. <laughs> but, <laughs> he's got spoons to wipe on his shirt. So they're in this dump that we're describing, <laughs> and I guess it's the guy who owns the restaurant's wife. I would assume. I don't know. They don't really, they don't really set really it up. Describe yeah, who yeah. she is, and she is. I, I looks like she's friendly with the with Serrano, our uh, French antihero, <laughs> and she gives him back his watch at the end. Is that what she gives she him? She gives him the watch. That's, That's how right. he has it back. That's right, yep. So I'm almost wondering if, because I'm always looking at that as hell, and I'm looking for the allegory, is she Is she the devil? And they're part of her, they're in her world, kind of. She doesn't talk. She doesn't have dialogue. She gives him the watch. How did she get the watch? And at the end, Roy Scheider is, is dancing with her, almost like he's dancing with the devil. He's made his choice. He's staying there because he deserves hell. And so that's where he's staying, and then he's going to get his just desserts at the end. Obviously, we can talk about that Ugh, later. Yeah. But traitor, I'm wondering if if the whole thing is 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 hell, and that's what it is. And I really enjoy that kind of allegory because that place is definitely um, fire and brimstone hell. And he walks into the center of hell, kind of when he's got the nitroglycerin. That's a great and shot. He's walking back, absolutely. And all I could think of was that's the center of hell. That's the pillar of fire. That's that's hell central, and the desert behind him is is. It's friggin' weird. Oh, and it's all white? All white, the spirals. Right. As he's getting closer, he's starting to hallucinate, seeing all these demons. It gets very kind of metaphysical kind of shots and and allegories, and you're starting to really get into that kind of exorcist, very exorcist feel. If mm-hmm. the beginning felt like I didn't, I forgot that freaking wrote or directed uh, French Connection. Oh, my at God. The start, at the start, and then I remembered, because I was like, the beginning really feels like French Connection, and then I went... Oh, yeah. Oh. So the end really does feel like The Exorcist in a way, starting with the desert scene. So I thought that was cool. That's another reason I really enjoyed the movie was that kind of hell allegory that I was – at least I was pulling from it. And you have notes. I don't know if that's true or not. No, I, did, I didn't see that anywhere. But that's okay. not – I mean that's – movies are subjective. You're supposed to pull what, what you want from it. Right, if you yeah. got that and you, what you're describing to me, I can definitely – I can understand that and that's mm-hmm. fine. I'm not going to – great. Um, you could also say that maybe the maybe Zerano just slept with her and he left his watch at her. <laughs> but no, I, I hear you. But that's yeah. I mean, that's yes. You could see that, and that's fine. That works. Everything you describe is you know the, the shot at the end. I love when he's when he's walking with the dynamite, and he's just like shaking, and, and there's like all of a sudden all these guys are like, "Whoa, yeah, that's a nitro yeah, stop!" Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I, I I didn't laugh, but I chuckled when like the truck stops. And he looks at it and says two sixteen seven, and it's just, I'm just and before they even pen up the two eighteen, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> miles short. <laughs> uh, I also was confused by the, I mean, not something I didn't like. I don't want to get into that yet, but one of the things that confused me, maybe you can answer the assassin. Yeah. I thought throughout most of the movie that he was after Roy Scheider's character, that he was hired to get him, and he was only yeah. there to kill him. I don't, but I'm not. I, at toward the end of the movie, I started to become unsure. Yeah, I don't. They don't really. His character is not fleshed out in terms of why he's there. Like I read something where he comes. He comes to the town, just passing through, but decides to stay. And I'm wondering if if that's more about how like we talk about how they all go to this town. Like you're talking about how it's in purgatory. Like so, right. basically, all these guys go to, with the exception of the. Uh, 
assassin, uh, Nilo's Nilo or Nilo. I don't know which, how you say it. They all go to this town because they're escaping from something. Right. But then as soon as they're there or however long they are, they all want to get out. And that's probably true from a lot of outsiders that are in there. Obviously, the town's full of all the locals. Right. But everyone that's there, you have to assume that most people are there are there, have come there because they are running away from something. But now that they are there, they cannot get out. And so maybe if if the hitman's coming in there, if he is just, quote, passing through, but he gets trapped there, he can't leave. But yeah, they, they, he's very shadowy. Yeah. And the whole idea that he kills the... Um, the German, the Nazi. He's supposed to be a Nazi war crime, war criminal. That's okay. that's why Kasim's uh, his best friend. You know, the Palestinian because, because he hates Jews too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think that's why they were both friends. So I yeah I don't get, but that's that's the one thing. It's not a dislike. It's just it's not really. And it doesn't have to be fleshed out. It, you know what I mean? It, it, it well, I get you that. Know, it's it just, never really bothered me. Right, but it was. A, I always was like. I mean, maybe he's there because they don't like him, or maybe he's there because he he forced himself to do this because maybe he they never really explain why he's why he wants to get out. You know why the other? We don't really know why Kasim wants to get out, but you know why the other two want to get out, right? The way I watched it was he assassinated the German to get into the group, yeah, to get to Roy Scheider. But as I'm watching it, I'm watching it, waiting for him to make his move, and when he pulls a gun on him when he's at the tree trunk, and he's like, "Go ahead," and he shoots the gun past Roy Scheider's head. I thought that was a moment of realiz- realization for Roy Scheider that, oh, man, they've come to get me here. But it really wasn't. Yeah. And so that kind of confused me. And at that point, I was just like, okay, he's definitely not here to get Roy Scheider. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was just a little Yeah, no, little I hear you. Yeah, it, it is. It, uh, that was one thing I had written down when I just didn't – I didn't understand him completely. And I wanted to. I, want, I mean because even his prologue is short. He shoots that dude and he just walks out. Which I like. <laughs> I like that his short. <laughs> um, you know that starts off with that classic seventy zoom when they pull in, they go in, and and and, and even I even love when I watch seventies movies from now, it's a different style. I like you know it's definitely a different style, and I don't know I, I don't know why I appreciate it more now than I did before. I, I I don't know why because but there's some there's tons of movies that I've watched like Three Days of the Condor, French Connection, these movies that are just dirty, not polished. I like the fact. That it's not polished. Like I, I do as well. I, yeah, I, I like the fact that what's driving, and it's probably because I enjoy story. What's driving me to love this movie is the story, not oh, it looks great. Oh, we got a great set because there are great. Set, you can make an argument for the set pieces. So like the prologues are a great set piece. The the first turn when they do that little the bridge, the dam. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great. The bridge, the tire, the tree blow up. The gu- even the gunfight. When they're when he when he's like you got supplies and they look back there and it's a dynamite and he flips out, mm-hmm. um, you know even when he's walking to the field that that like there are, these are all great set pieces right that if they were done today I think they would be polished I think they would be worked over I think they would be like put together by eighteen people you know what I mean like I don't <laughs> Absolutely, it yeah. wouldn't feel like organic and like it's such a the end shot when Shider's walking out of the dark and he's just like. You know, he is completely in dark. And even when he's coming, he's shadowed and he's it's not, you know, it's not he's only really being lit by the, by fire. the fire. Right. Do you see that shot today? I don't think so. Maybe an independent movie that doesn't have money. Yeah. I mean, I could see I can see that shot maybe being done again. But this is a this back then. This movie was big budget because this movie he did this movie because he was supposed to do the Devil's Triangle, which was the follow up to The Exorcist. Mm-hmm, it was right. supposed to be. OK. Then what happened was Spielberg came out with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I guess that kind of was very similar. So they he was like, "Fine, I'm going to do Sorcerer." But he did, but Sorcerer was a big movie. Was was like big production wise that twelve to twenty two million. million. Yeah, yeah it's a big a movie. Yeah, <laughs> so so it's a big budget movie, but it's really it feels like an indie sometimes it in does. the way it's shot. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why I like 70s cinema a lot now, because it feels authentic more than what I see in today's day. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, there's something I, – I love good imagery. I love polished looks, looking stuff, and that's, that's – that's, I'm not against that. But I don't like it when that is in service or that is trying to replace the story. You still have to have a great story. I'm going right. to have this – every time we talk about a movie, I'm always going to argue about story. I don't know. I guess that's just me. <laughs> so I think that that's probably why I, I, I like Sorcerer because it looks gross. Sure. But it's 
like I said, you just get pulled in to the, the entire story of these four men. I think the grossness helps because <laughs> you want them to get out. Yeah. You don't want to see this gross city anymore. So dirty. So dirty. That's what I love. Once they pass, I don't know, symbolism or not, once they pass the monsoon scene, it's immediately nice outside. It, it's, the color comes back into the picture, which is nice, as if they're kind of like almost succeeding. False sense of hope. Right. Um, but yeah, you, don't, you wouldn't get those scenes beforehand to look that, gritty, that gross. Right. Well, even the car crash, even like the car crash in New York City, like you don't like okay. it. You don't I, like it? I don't like how that was cut at all. Why? The car crashes head on into the truck. It, yeah. There's no way it's flipping over. And then all of a sudden I have to see it flip over. Yeah. I was not a fan of the car crash. Can't believe you want to... And they go everywhere. Yeah. That, well, I will tell you this. That, car, that crash, they tried to do that crash originally with all the 12 times. And they couldn't do it. So then they brought some dude in who's like an expert at stunt driving. And he was like, he, he just like surveyed the scene and he had them build this ramp so that he could drive onto the ramp with two wheels and then flip over and flip the car over. And he did it in the first take. And that was it. They were, they were gone. They were, they were good. But like that, but here's the thing. That car crash, like that's a car crashing. But like that's back then, that's a legit like smash the car up. Now right. today, like they're doing a rig. They're doing, again, this is like me doing old cinema versus new cinema. I just appreciated what they did back then because it was just like, like even the, okay, even the tree. So the tree, they were trying to blow up. Tree is awesome. It is. I love the trees. So they couldn't figure out how to do it. So what he so what freaking does he he goes and he goes and talks to he finds he gets in contact with an arsonist in New York City known as Marvin the Torch. <laughs> has him come has him come down for three days. He he tells him what tells gives him supplies he needs and he blows the thing up in one take. <laughs> are you, I'm sorry, but are you getting it? I'm shooting a movie in 2019. I need an arsonist. Go get one. They're gonna be like, you crazy. <laughs> the simple fact that they got Marvin the Torch to come down—that's awesome. Exactly. So, like, I think those, like, like I, like those little things. I think I makes me appreciate the movie more. The fact that Scheider and him didn't get along. The fact that they hated each other. No, oh, did they? Oh no, that. The fact that he wasn't his first choice. So Freakin's first choice was Steve McQueen, and Steve McQueen said he would do it. If his um, wife had a part in Ally McGraw at the time, his wife at the time had a part, would be given a part. Freakin said, no, I'm not doing that. So McQueen walked. Then he lost a couple other people because the people were only going to sign on because of McQueen. Then he, his Shider was like his fifth or sixth choice or something like that. Gets Shider. But he said like – so now you these, – both these guys, they don't like each other. So what I'm – all these stories that I'm talking about have been since the movie has been out. He so Shire, he was like Shire's like a second banana type of guy. He's not somebody who can lead a movie. Never mind the fact that he just was in Jaws. But okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess you can argue that that's not his movie. But I don't know how. Says he's not. He it's not. It, you know, he's second banana. He shouldn't be in there. Didn't like that he was in there. They fought all the time. Like they would. He would. Freaking was fighting with a lot of people on the on the movie where people were just quitting. And Shire kept having to you know so say goodbye to producers. Be like, oh, see you later. I'm sorry. Kept doing it because. Freaking kept firing people because he just kept people kept quitting. They kept firing because it was a big. It was always fighting with people. So, did they hold on? Did they hate each other during the French Connection? Uh, I think that that's. I think that freaking's like I, I don't know. Maybe we can relate him to Fincher, where he's difficult to work with. Okay, but his results prove out. So that's why he would work with him, again. right? Okay. So and you have to French Connection. Shadow's not the lead. It's Hackman. So right, but if they I'm hated sure each other, then well, I'm sure, like, but it's a different relationship. I'm sure, like he's not, now he's the lead, so he has to spend right. more time. I'm with sure him. he's. I mean, it's something like that. I mean, these guys have massive egos, right? You're big, you know, and whether it's deserved again, whether it's deserved or not, they still have massive egos, and they're clashing. And a lot of times, great art comes from that, from people who don't like each other. You don't have to love each other to make something great. Well, especially a movie where you have to be miserable the whole time. Anyway. Correct. So, but but over time, they have since been like you know. They have since said like it's a, they like the movie. Like this is Freakin's favorite movie that he's ever made because it came out exactly the way he wanted it to. So it's always it's and you can definitely sense that there's a lot of people coming around to it, including him, including the experience of working on it. Like they did a Blu-ray re-release like four or five years ago, like all that stuff. So I'm sure all this stuff that's being said is stuff that was taken back. You know, so gotcha, yeah. you know what I mean. It's just people in the moment. But yeah, no, they weren't. Not everyone was hunky dory on the set, is what I'm trying to say. And which is why I think maybe that's probably why the movie works a lot because you know everyone's acting the crap out of the out of it and direct you know everything's just right yeah, yeah good. <laughs> <laughs>
Like I think his cinema, his cinematographer quit halfway through. So Dick Bush was a cinematographer just left because they could, he couldn't work with them. So they had to have the second unit cinematographer take over, take over. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at the film, I mean, it's like, it, I think the film feels like it's just whatever's on screen is what you see. Especially like the, in the, I didn't, I should have looked it up, but like where they, at the end where they're driving the source, the trucks, he's driving the truck through the weight. Uh, oh, that desert. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a great look, but like, absolutely. How do you shoot that? Do you just light it like moonlight? You know what I mean? Have them drive through. It looked like it was always at dawn. Yes. And there was it looked like there were fil- the, like a filter on the camera with the pink. Yeah. In the background. Yeah, yeah. It looked like they put that blue filter, that night filter, on there with the pink in the background in the sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the score. The score. Is I good. think we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, before. We actually talked about it off off uh, off mic. Yeah. Off mic. Yeah. We so about the the movie scored by Tangerine Dream, who <laughs> uh, is a group who's known for their I guess synth. Is that what you yeah, call? Okay. Sense, yeah. So basically, this is one of the first movies that they scored that that they, I guess, were known. Like people, like, oh wow, they they scored that movie, and that they they went on to score a bunch of eighties films like Thief, Risky Business, Firestarter, Near Dark. They insp- I was before we started this. They inspired basically their their music was the inspiration for the Stranger Things, the movie, the show on Netflix, their theme song. So what Tangerine Dream had recently done is they actually redid the Stranger Things theme song, and that's on YouTube, uh, with their own version. So, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, a meta kind of way of full Coming circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doing a so, cover of a song based on right. our songs. And, and the score is, re- like, especially at the end when it goes cuts to the credits and the music starts. Like, I was, when I was watching it, usually when the movie's over, you're just like, all right, boop, off, move on. You're but listening to it. You're listening to the, yeah, you're listening the to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's, it's. It's a great theme. You know what? I like that you said it sounded like Near Dark because I turned to my uh, fiance and I said, that sounds like Near Dark. I like this a lot. <laughs> it's, it's like more 80s than 70s. Let's talk about the fact that your fiance watched this movie before you. Terrible. Yeah, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. <laughs> I asked her. She, she doesn't usually watch um, these movies that we do with me because I usually watch them late, but I wanted to watch this one you know, earlier. So I said, hey, do you want to watch it? She goes, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> I'm like, of all the movies we're doing, you saw, you, this is the one you've seen. Does she like it? She likes it when they get to the jungle. Yeah, no, I get that because it's all I, – I understand that. Which is similar to me. Oh, come on. So, okay, so let's go into what you – let's okay. just go into that. Segway. Segway. <laughs> it's not that I – I really do like this movie. Okay. Sure, sure. But it's a problem with a lot of 70s movies that I don't think they know how to cut extraneous stuff to set up a character. Sure. Um. So I think you could have easily cut 15 minutes out of that movie, just out of the characters, just to make it a little shorter. Well, the assassin is cut. You know who he right. is. You don't need to be that quick with the French guy. You don't need to be that quick with Roy Scheider. But I felt like there were certain parts where it was, it was dragging a little bit. And I felt like it could have sped it up. And I feel like a lot of 70s movies have that same kind of aesthetic. I mean, I know you're talking about story and character. But these guys are reprehensible just douchebags and, and murderers and you just you just spent five minutes before telling me how Serrano's a lovable guy he is now a he's a douchebag and murderer he's a guy, but he like, he's responsible for that guy's suicide you're absolutely he's right embezzled. <laughs> he forced that guy three times to go talk to his dad <laughs> talk to your father <laughs> I promised the money <laughs> um, but I don't think you need to spend that much time there I mean I have it written down well you better well I, I will well while you're looking for it I will say this I understand what you're saying about story and about getting to stuff quicker, and, and you can I, I get you can make a case for that. That's fine. I get that, but I would much rather have more stuff than less stuff. Like I love movies, and I love when they start off right away. But there are times when you're watching a movie and you're ten minutes into the movie and you're already into like an action scene that should be in you know the middle section of a film. It should be not. It shouldn't be in the setting. Like Raiders. That opening is great in Raiders. But then, like, they don't get to another action beat for another 20 minutes in that movie. This is a different type of movie. This is a, right. this is a drama. Adventure, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I would much rather have them err on the side of story. and because, But there's a, but to your point, so we always have this conversation between me and you about Marvel shows on, on Netflix. About how, you know, I can't get through them sometimes because they'll have an, a 40 and a 45 minute show or 45 minute ep- episode of like a movie, like, say, let's say The Punisher, right. which I really I like the first season of The Punisher and I have not gotten through the second season. 
So they'll have conversations and they're the same conversation with different characters. They're, they're, they're arguing over the same stuff. And to me, that's sloppy writing because that's lazy writing because you just get to the stuff. And then the last 15 minutes of the show, maybe we'll have a great action scene and great, fantastic. I go, but like, why do I have to wait through 40, 45 minutes of the same stuff you're saying over and over? It's like when you write a script and you have the people enter the room, you don't always write, hello, hi, how are you? Hey, what's up? Because we, that's, that's already a given. Like when you're, right. you know what I mean? Like when you're watching a movie and someone answers the phone, when they hang up the phone and they just hang up the phone, you're like, I want to hang up the phone like that. I don't want to sit there and be like, because every time in real life when you're on the phone with somebody and you're talking to them, there's always that moment where you're like, all right, I'll, I'll see you later. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Like you always <laughs> yeah, get, like, yeah. Yeah, that stuff is not going to happen in a movie. So I get what you're saying. Like I, I, but like, so in this movie, I don't think any of the dialogue is repeating itself. I don't think any of the dialogue is necessarily not meant for something. I get that. It's, I understand. I'm not, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I just think that I would rather err on the side of more story, more dialogue action, more stuff to further my characters than less. Well, I'm not saying that it necessarily is extraneous. Like right. I'm not saying they're repeating themselves, but I'm saying they're going about it in a way that's that could be sped up a little bit. I got you. That's all. Um, well, you have to have the four prologues. You do have to set up the characters, right. but you can set it up a little quicker. I think mostly. I mean, the Palestinian. Um, well, what bored you? What stuff like was was kind of dragging you out of it? Put it that which, way. Probably my favorite background, which is um, Serrano. Mm-hmm. Is, Victor is, Manson. He's he's, <laughs> he's it was too slow and. and it was my favorite part. It was my favorite setup because mm-hmm. it was establishing him as, you know, maybe not just not the worst guy, but also more out of his depth than I think most of them. He's a white collar crime, whereas opposed to everyone is, is kind of like a hardened criminal. Right. But it's like you got the scene in his bedroom. You get the scene at the work meeting. You get the scene at breakfast. You get the scene in the parking lot. You combine some of those shots, combine those scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking it takes – 49 minutes to get to the dynamite to uncover the nitroglycerin. It takes 55 minutes into this two-hour film to have them start assembling the trucks. Um, and I, when this, Montage. I, didn't, I didn't write down when the trucks actually turn on the ignition and they start riding, but I'm guessing that's about 58 to 59 minutes, um, which does make that last hour fly. Yeah. But it takes us a little too long. And I'm not saying it needs to be 90 minutes because that would cut too much out of the film. I don't have any interest in watching the international version. <laughs> but... An hour fifty, hour, hour fifty. Let, let's cut. Let's cut a little bit of that introduction down a little bit. I wouldn't cut anything out of the out of anything that takes place um, once I go down south. But just a little bit of. The I would say this. I will say this. I think you can where you would. I think where you would cut. I wouldn't cut the prologues, and I'll, I'll get to the Serrano one. But what I would cut, if you're going to talk about cutting, is I don't really understand why you have the war criminal, the Nazi war criminal there. I don't get why you have this guy there because he is a major character in the novel okay well then there you go in the novel it looks like there's only three characters and he's one of them okay but you know what you're not you're doing a movie so if you get that you know what i mean so i can see if you're going to cut you just kind of take that out now whether that if you do that then you're probably you're probably getting rid of kind of like the tension between the assassin's character and kasim and um scanlon's character yeah I get that. You know, maybe you're kind of kind of like so you're going to have to figure out another way to do that. The the prologues when when Serrano is in his bedroom with his wife and they're talking about uh the general. They're talking about the army guy that was um put away or something the poet army guy, yeah. that was murdered or he had somebody somebody that he was one of his underlings was killed. Something like something he was responsible for someone's death. Yes. Or whatever it was. Serrano makes the comment where, like, you know, it's just another soldier's died. He's, you know, it's just he's dead, whatever. Yeah. And she's saying, like, everybody matters. So, like, she's saying, like, everybody, everybody is somebody right. to somebody. Yeah. It matters, right. So the whole idea of how these four guys who are not friends, they're in a crappy situation, they are forced to rely on each other to get through this. Well, that, so, so, yeah. so even if, like... You know, Scanlan and the assassin don't like each other. But at the end, when he gets shot, when the assassin and Scanlan drags him in there, he's like, "Tell me what you're going to do with your money." He's trying to still save his life, even though they're not friends because they've been through. Right. That harkens stuff, back yeah. to what she tells him in the bedroom. Absolutely, and I'm not right. saying to cut that dialogue. No, no, I got you. I'm just he, like I said, keep everything with the French. Uh, he's my favorite character, but just make it in in one or two or two scenes instead of four scenes, or maybe three scenes instead of four. 
you know, the breakfast scene, have it take all take place in the parking lot. Let's have them go to breakfast and get stopped in the parking lot. I got to go over here and talk to this guy. Just shorten it up a little bit. Um, well, you know, when Mr. Freakin re- see, see, hears this here's podcast, this. I'm going to have him direct his attention to you because I think he's fantastic. I love this one. <laughs> I thought this one was great. It's just I think that's something that maybe as maybe opposition to you, I think that modern movies maybe do a little better is the setup when, when they do it well. Uh, I'm not saying all movies do it anymore, especially big Hollywood movies. I, 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 mean, I think yeah. as we've gone through and that's something – you're supposed to do is improve upon things as movies have sure. gone on they've done a little bit better setting up character and especially character names because it's really tough to remember anybody's name in this movie. scanlan yeah see i'm serrano dominguez and serrano that's all i remembered from the movie like when you're setting up in those long scenes i should know their names right off the bat right. and uh, that's i got tough. you i got you but there's this thing called you know writing stuff down exactly well, i shouldn't <laughs> have to write stuff down <laughs> but you've only seen this movie once. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I got four characters. I should know. Their names. You, sh- you should know. Absolutely. Um, so, well, I'm also bad at names. The other thing I wasn't a huge fan of. Well, I'm bad at faces, so really? that's good. Yeah. I'm good at faces. Bad at names. Oh, interesting. Um, together we I don't know. <laughs> together we can remember people. <laughs> the uh, the one thing that also confused me that was my only gripe was the setup. All right. Uh, the one thing that did confuse me, and maybe you know, because you've got all the fun facts. Woo. The black guys that looked like limo drivers. What? They kind of appear in the background of the film. The limo driver? What are you talking about? All right. So at the beginning of the film, they're – I don't think they're at the airport scene. They're definitely in the city at some point when we first introduced the city. Oh, then they're in the, the background when, they right. go, when the cops take Scanlon and, and steal his passport or his ID card. And they go into the police station. They're standing there. And they're well-dressed. They're they're black guys. They're not like Mexicans. I think I think that and they smiling the whole time. I like, think that uh, well, technically I don't think the other guys are Mexicans either, Mike. They're in South America. So but, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. So they're, not, they're not Latinos. Right, right, right. Um, I think that they are because they only show the signage of the presidents. The presidents like four more years, four more años from right, the signage. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that they are. I think those guys are the locals. And the, uh, the 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 people that bring him in for the bribe, basically, next time you bring more money, you know, like oh, right, the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, those guys are locals and local sheriffs, and the other guys are part of the presidential. Uh, honestly, it's probably because they looked good, or or honestly, they probably had to have them there because they were shooting this in certain towns like that were, you know, poor, not great, yeah, right. So they might have had to have these people on there because they're smiling half the time. So they're probably like, we're in a movie. You know, like, it's okay, probably something like that. Because what that seemed to me is they were supposed to represent – again, I'm looking for like, – what do they represent? Well, they, they've, got the pres- they've got the different uniforms. So I would assume that they're with the pres- presidential entourage or they're with the presidential secret army or right, something like that. they're not yeah. wearing uniform. They're, they're wearing – well, maybe it's a uniform, but it's a black suit with a, with a vest and a red tie. And they've got kind of the taxi driver hat, right. but they're just smiling and almost like they know Scanlon's situation or what the cops are going to do. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if we ever looked into it and they were just like they had they they were put on there so that they wouldn't shut down production because they were going to like rob them or something. Because it's honestly because yeah. that's probably because in the production is fifty over fifty people had to leave this production because of injury. That's, I wrote this down: injury, gangrene, food poisoning, malaria, or all. Even at the premiere. When they premiered the movie, freaking had a had malaria. He didn't realize he had malaria until after the premiere. He had to go to the doctor. He's like, "Hey, you got malaria, dude." And it's like, "What?" So it's just like, so they were not in they were not in like the cushy studio. Oh, I could tell when when he's uh, when Schneider goes crazy with the machete. I'm like, that's a real machete. He's gonna cut his fingers. I've off. been there. And what's funny like is in the what, water. What's funny is like he's all pissed off and he's all like hacking. And you're just like he's out of control. And I'm just like, I've been there. <laughs> He's punching the ground, hurting his hand. He's like holding it. I'm like, he probably right. really did hurt his hand at that uh, point. That, but that's like that's that's like it looks stupid at the time, like when you're watching it. But when you think about it, like that's how we act. No, absolutely. honestly, like you know, you get mad. You're like so uncontrollably rageful. For some people, I'm sure some people don't get this way. But when you get upset and you just you just angry and you're just like throwing haymakers at the, and it's just kind of <laughs> like you're you're just like, yep, yeah, yeah. Look, I look like an idiot. Yep. And, and that's what it is. In, then he goes into the water where there's parasites that are probably going to go up his wee wee. Oh, I, that's, like, that's, like, oh, I, that's as gross. soon as he walked into that stuff, I was like, oh no, gross. <laughs> that's yeah. what my first thought. Look was. at the muck. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that they got malaria, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was that was not good. So 
I mean, is there anything else that so you just had a, you had a couple issues that that just was just a it. couple of issues? Yeah, I mean, calling it sorcerer when you blow up the truck and killing what I imagine to be the protagonist. I obviously Roy Scheider is the big name on the thing, so you got to keep him alive. Um, what's interesting, and I didn't read up enough on the novel, but I know that Scanlan is not Scanlan. Um, the uh, the French guy whose name is Mario in the novel, he is the main character. He is the protagonist. Well, he's the only one that in the in Serrano case, he's the only one that you get a little glimpse of his life. Like, I don't know how he thinks he's going to get like all these guys think they're going to leave. And what people are going to forget what happened. Right. And he was like going to go see his wife again. Like, she, uh, gonna be, well, yeah. he, maybe he'd prefer jail at that point. And at least he could see her. Well, let's be honest. She probably doesn't have anything anymore. They probably took everything. They probably his company went belly up. They probably took everything he owned to pay off the debt. Well, she was rich. Well, her father-in-law was rich. That's who he wanted to get the money from, his father-in-law. So so that dude was her brother. That dude was her saying. brother, yeah. yes. She's not going to want to see him. That's also probably true. <laughs> um, but I guess I just look it up. In the novel, he delivers the oil. He's, he looks like he's going to be safe. He's, fly, he's driving to the airport, and the cliff he drives the nitroglycerin truck on so carefully and survives. I guess he takes the corner too fast in a regular car and goes over and dies. At the end, and that's nice. how that's how the novel ends. Uh, well, Scanlan's character, or the closest thing to it, has died during the events of the. Uh, well, that brings up the ending of this movie because the whole thing with Scanlan at the end, right? So, so when Scanlan's at in the bar and he's Dan, he's sitting there, and they have that zoom in, and he's like, you know, like, can I want to? Can you hold on a second? And he right. goes and dance with the woman, and then you cut to the outside, and you cut to the. You you cut to the dude that gets out of the the car that you forget already. You are, it's because we're an hour and a half away from this dude already telling the mob boss like we'll find him, and he comes out of the taxi and Scanlon's buddy yep. who sends him down here. Which I mean like like what a jerk off like he he you know so like yeah you don't know who what he threatened the guy with true but like, like you know what then show me show like he's been beat up or something okay but whatever regardless and they walk in and like. So obviously Scanlon's dead. You hear a gunshot at the end, very uh, faintly, but there is a gunshot. Yeah, there the is, but roll. like you don't hear any screaming. But I hear you. It's, yeah, that, that town, one True. white guy gets shot. True. Okay. True. I mean, look what they did in the uh, the riot scene with the burned bodies. Oh god, that scene yeah, was not good. Oof, not good. But yeah, so so basically, no one gets out of no no one leaves. But what's funny? Would what would be funny is if those two dudes don't ever leave either. Like they're trapped there yeah, as well. They're like, yeah, they're stuck there too. Like they can't leave. They get there and they can't leave. It's hell. Yeah, now they're sucked yeah. in there. So a couple, of th- so a couple of things that I noticed on the rewatch uh, that kind of like jumped out when they're in the French restaurant and they show the baby pig on the on the they they, they cut to while they're all eating this food yeah. and they cut to this like baby pig on a platter. I was just like on this platter. I was like, oh come on, that is gross. It's disgusting. That's fine French cuisine, right uh, there. That's not fine at all. The other thing I noticed, and this is not this is awful, because I'm not laughing at it. When they're at the wedding and she has the black eye, and the, oh, oh yeah, the whole time, yeah, so the same thing. and like it's just I'm just sitting there going, yep, like it. That's awful, and it's just like, yep, it's like, a mob wedding, yeah, uh, it exactly. That's that it's, tone. It's almost like it's almost like the director's making a statement there with that, and I just thought there was a, it's a it you just. It also kind of establishes right off the bat. This is like if there was any question of, oh, maybe they don't know. This is a great church. Yeah, maybe they don't know that they're embezzling money behind the church, and then the priest is just happily marrying the, the girl who's clearly been beaten up. Yeah, it's like no, nah, nah, well, that's not a good place. They launder money through the church, basically. Like, so it's supposed to be like the church is a front, right? Yeah. So people give the mob their money through the church. Um, so that, and obviously, you know, you because he's the brother and all that stuff. But um, the guy, so. This is actually based that that church scene is based on a real robbery. So they so that church that they're robbing, mm-hmm. I think in the in the, where they shot it right in the movie, maybe like three or four blocks away was the original church where the robbery went down. <laughs> and the guy that was the guy that was part of that crew, it's just he robbed a church. Okay, went to jail, got out of jail, 
became an actor, and he's in he's in the crew. He's one of the crew guys. Is he the Irish? Is he the Irishman in the backseat, or the guy who wants? He's to supposed no. He's supposed to be the leader of the, the leader of the gang, so he's probably in the front. Oh, he's, he's the probably guy the who's telling the, the Irishman right. to shut up. Right. So nice. he so he's the guy that did the original robbery that this robbery is based on. Well, I like that he's the one threatening the Irish guy. So if I was the actor, I'd be like, this is a real this is a real guy <laughs> threatening me. Like, hey, yeah, I know. That's a Mac thing. That's some bad. That's some bad getaway driving work by Scanlon. He's the best driver they have. <laughs> Turning around while he's driving. Doesn't see the truck. Establishing that maybe he shouldn't be driving the truck later. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think we both agree that this this is a movie that should be rewatched. Absolutely. Should be seen by... I mean, I would recommend that anybody who wants to make movies would watch this movie. Uh, I would recommend anybody that wants to make movies to tell stories to watch a lot of older films. But this is probably this is the oldest film we've done so far. So far, yeah. yeah. By, by quite a bit. Right. So, but I would, this is, and I know it's out on Blu-ray, so I know you're going to get a good quality, but if not for anything, that, that bridge scene is fantastic. The, the, we're talking about the rope bridge. Right. That they drive these two giant dump trucks over. The intensity of getting through, even if you agree with me and not field, that the beginning is a little bit of a slog, even if very well done. As soon as they start driving, it's tense, it's exciting, and... Like, it really, it just holds your attention great. Like, fantastic. I would argue that the slog is what makes you love the I action stuff. I called it stuff. the slog just because I want to, I don't know. No, it's fine. I'm not, I'm I, not. It's an enjoyable slog, but I'm, it is a little I'm slog. I'm just saying that, that, all that all that setup and all that slogginess, that's a new word, is there so that when you watch the last hour of the movie, you are, you want these people to survive. That's what that slog is for, butler. Slogginess stickers coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie that I would watch that inspires me to make movies, that that inspires me to talk about how to make movies. Right. Uh, that's a movie that – and it's one of many that I watch with somebody who loves movies as well that would just – I would sit there and be like, dude, they look what they did. We can do something. Exactly. And, I mean, it is a big-budget movie, $22 million. Yeah. It's still not small potatoes today. But it, the way it looks, the way they – like the, all that money is in actors. It's in the setting – you do something here with that kind of grit and that real worldness, like it worked and then it can work now, and it really adds to your film. Being able to use that low budget look, use it to your advantage, and I think this movie did. I kind of like that it was a flop. I kind of like that it got lost. I mean, I'm fortunate for people that made it, but great because, for us. <laughs> well, because because it's you know it's it's too, it's back in the early '90s when we I would watch movies and we would go. You didn't have obviously you didn't have the internet as you uh, you didn't have it as you had it now you didn't have social media I'm not saying anything nobody doesn't know already but you were able to find gems in the indie world you were able to go out and find a movie that nobody else knew about and be able to go, oh I gotta see this I heard this movie's really good and it, you, and the fact that it, there was some kind of there was some kind of aura around films that like nobody had seen and they're so good and you could share them with other people Sorcerer's like that Sorcerer's a movie that is good that. When you meet somebody that hasn't seen it, you're like, you have to watch this movie. And like, you know, like there are there are not a lot of movies like that anymore because everybody knows everything and everybody's seen everything and everything's everywhere. And you can it's all readily available right now. You know, there's nothing has any there's no chance to find a hidden gem. And, and Sorcerer is one of those. And I think that's kind of why I like it as much as I do back then and even now. So watch it again. Um, I agree. <laughs> and now's the time. For our plugs. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Forgotten <laughs> no, Cinema. No, thank yous. Plugs. <laughs> <laughs> Just plugs. So uh, why don't you plug us first? Us, like in general? Like where you like can the find movie? us and stuff like that. So you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, I believe. And honestly, anywhere else that we're located. Just if you can go to uh, us on Facebook, Forgotten Cinema uh, I think pod. we have a page. Is it a pod or podcast? I should really look that up. But it's probably for, just look up Forgotten Cinema on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're also on Instagram. Uh, so just look for our little purple logo with the, our names on it. And you can just, you know, we, we're gonna, we update that stuff all the time. But yeah, so that's where we are. And uh, please share with everybody. That's the best thing. It's not just to like them, but it's to share. There's got to be something out there that you might want us to talk about. Please feel free to suggest. We will, you know, take suggestions. Absolutely. In terms of personal plugs, I've, I've got a couple books out right now. Adam Parker and the Radioactive Scout, Adam Parker and the High School Bully. Um, those are available on Amazon.com as an ebook and a uh, paperback. Nice. Uh, I've got 
two other podcasts I do, Two Player Brothers, or Two Player Bros, a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games. You join me and my brother Alex as we talk about games coming out, new video game news, and we review games as well on every system, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, PC, VR. We've got them all. We talk about them. We're funny. Hopefully you think so. So check that out, twoplayerbros.com. And I also have Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise, which I do with my fiance Elise, where we uh, talk about <laughs> brews, news, and pop culture reviews. We crack open a local beer. <laughs> no, 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 because I was going to be like, and she saw Sorcerer before him. <laughs> <laughs> so we crack open a beer, uh, usually a local beer, craft beer, talk about the history of it, what's in it, where it's from, a little bit about the brewery, and then we just kind of sit down and chat about What's going on in the world of pop culture? Usually, you know, movies and television. We talk about what we've seen. We review that. So it's fun. It's a quick little uh, hangout sesh with uh, sesh. my fiance. Nice. So it's fun. So check that out. It's cracking one open with Michael. You don't have any other new podcasts you're starting this week? I got 19 more <laughs> podcasts I'm starting. Uh, what category would you like to see? <laughs> you can also hear us guest star on. The Nomcast podcast hosted by Andrew Morgan, where we discuss the new Netflix film Rim of the World. So be sure to check that out wherever podcasts can be found. Excellent. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this is Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Oh.